All right, everyone, this is Sean, um, and I'm coming at you from a Thursday, and normally we record these uh, messages on Wednesday nights at Elevate, but we had an issue with our technical side of things this Wednesday, so we actually lost about a third, the first third of our message um, the night before. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to recap the first, um, about third of our message, and then I'm going to send it back over to the actual recording of where we actually got the recording to finish off the message. So here we go. Um, I'm going to do like a, a quick recap to kind of give you a synopsis of what's going on. But the real meat of the message is really in the recording of what actually got recorded. So here we go. All right. The title of my message is this. I hope you're ready for it. How a big butt will change your life. How a big butt will change your life. Just let that sink in for a bit. How a big butt will change your life. Now, here's the thing. The spelling is important because I'm talking about butt, B-U-T, butt. <laughs> and um, let me give you a definition of what that is. But is used to introduce a phrase or a clause contrasting with what has already been mentioned. So here's how it works, just a little school lesson for you. You've got like a thought, you've got a phrase, you've got something going one direction, but then a but comes around and then flips it on its head and says, but this, but the opposite, but this. You know, you've got a situation, you've got a story, you've got whatever is going on in one direction, but a butt comes along and reverses what is happening. Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys out there listening to this, you guys like, you probably like movies, you like video games, you like books, but here's the thing. All of the best movies, every good movie has a big butt, okay? Every big movie has a big butt. I want you to imagine your favorite movie and I guarantee you there's a big butt in that movie. Now, let's take Frozen for example. You've got Anna, who she is so in love with Hans. He, everything is great. Everything is perfect. She's in a tough situation. Now Hans comes to rescue her, but Hans was evil, right? That was a big but that flipped things on its head, and that was the twist villain. you got another example in Lord of the Rings. You've got Sauron. He's doing everything he can to get the ring, but Frodo persisted. Again, you've got something that's going one direction, but a big butt comes around and flips it on its head. But here's the thing. The biggest butt moments are found in the Bible. The biggest butts are found in the Bible. Now, you see, you've got David. He was a lowly shepherd. He had nothing going for him. But what? But God lifted him up instead. You've got Samson. He, he had all the strength. He had everything going for him. But then he messed up. But God used him anyways. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they were old and God told them they're going to do something. But they were like, hey, we're old. We can't have kids. But God used them anyways. And here's the thing. Every time you see but God or but the Lord in the Bible, I want you to highlight it, underline it, tattoo it on your skin. Because those moments in the Bible are significant. Those moments change the world. And you know why? Because it takes a big but to change the world. It takes a big butt to change the world. And listen, I'm praying every day that you will have a big butt in your life that will change the direction of your life. I'm praying every day that a big butt's going to come in your life and change everything. Some of you guys are praying I'm going to stop saying the word butt. The biggest butt in history, though, has got to be the cross. I mean, think about it. You've got Adam and Eve. 
you know, God, God wanted to create humans. God was feeling, I guess he was feeling lonely. He, he felt like something was missing. So he created humanity, He created us so that we could choose to love him. He gave us that free will so that we could choose to love him because he didn't want robots. So he's like, hey, love has to be a choice. And I know that because I'm love. So I'm going to create humans. And of course, what did we do? We chose not God. We had a choice between God and not God. And we chose not God. And so what happened was we were sent to eternity separated from God. But of course, what happened with that, you know, we, we are, we're sent away from eternity without God. And God's sad and God's like, he's cooking up a plan. Humans are sent away from eternity, but God, but Jesus died for our sins. And so obviously, so tonight what I want to do is I want to teach you three things that you to remember when you are needing a but God moment in your story. Because here's the thing. We are all broken people. We are all in broken situations from time to time. Even the best of the best of the people in the world find themselves in broken situations. Because listen, our life was never guaranteed to be an easy one. It really wasn't. You know, Jesus talks about this in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I can tell you in my life where the thief, the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy things in my life. But Jesus says he came that we may have life and life abundantly. So there are going to be times where we find ourselves in similar situations, just like the figures in scripture found themselves in. And it's at this point in the message where the recording system started working. So I'm going to send it over back to myself, really, and I am going to finish up this sermon here and I'm going to, we're going to stop right here. So I just want you just to bridge it, transition easier. There's going to be times in our life where we're going to find ourselves in similar situations as the figures and scriptures. And so let's finish this message. You know, maybe you're like David where you're not getting recognized and you're like, when is my moment going to come? Maybe you're like Samson where you've just fell, fallen too many times and you're like, I don't know how it can get back up. I don't know how God can use me. Maybe you're like Abraham and Sarah, and you're like, I'm disqualified. There's no way I can do this. We all have times in our life where we need a but God moment. But the problem is in those moments is that we can't see the entire story from where we're in, in the story. You know, to go back to Frozen, there's a, there's a big broken moment with Anna where she, where Hans rejected her. He did all those things he revealed. He was the twist villain, the classic Disney twist villain. The thing is, she didn't know the entire story, right? She was just in the middle. I know it's cheesy and stupid, and everyone probably doesn't like Frozen anymore, but she, she didn't know what was happening behind the scenes. Because most of the time, the but God is hidden. Most of the time, you have to look back in your life, and you have to look back years later and say, oh, yeah, God was working in my life. But in the moment, there's no way you could have seen it. Most of the time, God's working on something in the process. So tonight, I want to give you guys just a few reminders of when you find yourself in those tough situations needing a but God moment. And so first, I want to look at the life of Moses. Who's here reading the 100-day day reading plan? At least trying to. It's okay to admit if you're falling behind, but if you're trying to, you know, this week and a little bit of last week, we started learning about Moses. And just to give you a quick synopsis, you know, Moses, he wasn't supposed to be born because um, Pharaoh wanted to kill all the boys under the age of two. And eventually Moses is found by Egyptian royalty and he's raised up in royalty. I know I'm going really quick through this story, but eventually he's raised up in royalty. Moses becomes from a boy, becomes a man, just like Grant did this morning. He becomes, he was a boy. Now he's a man. 
and he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew, which is, he's a Hebrew, it's one of his kind. And what does Moses do? He gets angry and murders the man. Yeah, he gets angry, he murders the man, and word gets out, Moses gets afraid, so he flees his family, and he just basically merges with a different family, he gets married, settles down. And we don't know how, how many years later, but eventually we learn that God's cooking up a plan. God hears the cries of Israel. You know, the Bible says that God can hear their crying and they're crying out for a rescuer. And so listen, God calls out to Moses in a burning bush and he tells them, hey, you're going to be the one that's going to set my people free. You know, if you've seen, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, you know the story. But let's pick up where God is staying. It's in Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 3. It's in verse 10. It says, Come, and this is God speaking, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses, hold on. We've been talking about but God moments this whole time. But here you see a but Moses moment, where God can have but God moments and change the course of history. But remember, we have that free will that I talked about earlier. And so I'm not going to hit this too long, but we can also choose that if God's even changing the story, we can choose to reject that and go the other way. So let's move on. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like if God started speaking to me through a burning bush, I would believe him, what he was saying. I feel like if God could set a bush on fire without it being consumed, and then an audible voice from the fire, from the bush that's not being consumed, is speaking to me, and I know it's God, then I feel like God, I feel like God would be with me through that. But I want to point out to you, he said, Moses, he said, but who am I that I should go? Who am I? First of all, Moses, he, he, God called Moses. That's who Moses is. Mo God called Moses, but I want to point out three scriptures. I'm going to put them on the same slide here of time and time again, God speaking, and Moses has some excuse. It says, in Exodus 4.1, it says, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, The Lord did not appear to you. 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. 4.13, it says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. At the final, he's at the last of his rope, and he's like, God, just send someone else. You see, Moses... He, not only was he broken, apparently he might have had like a speech impediment, you know, theologians kind of argue about that, but either way, Moses, at the very least, Moses was a complainer, and he was a doubter. And the truth that I believe I want to learn from this story is this, is God uses broken people. God uses broken people. God uses broken situations. God uses broken people and situations. And if you think about it, Here's the thing, if you are perfect in every way, like Grant is, I'm just picking on you, Grant, tonight. That's my, that's my repayment for helping me set up the air hockey table. If you are perfect in every way, and every situation you are ever in is perfect, what do you need God for? What do you need God for? If, you're, if you can handle it all by yourself, what do you need God for? And you might say, well, you know, some people are less broken or are in less broken situations than I am. Well, that's just limiting the size of God right? That's saying God can use somebody in this way, but once you start getting into my situations, that's when God can't use me anymore. But Paul says that in the Bible that God's work is made perfect in my weakness. What does that mean? That just means that God's power and God's glory can shine even brighter 
through broken people and broken situations. And I honestly believe that there are times, maybe all the time, but maybe at least sometimes, where God purposely seeks out the weak and the broken people so that his glory can shine even brighter. I can at least speak to a, a small example in my life where at the beginning of when I believe God called me to be a pastor when I was probably 17 years old, I hated the stage. Hated, hated, hated the stage. I hated speaking. I like, every time I prepared a sermon, it was like seven minutes long. It was supposed to be 20. Like, I just hated it. I was not prepared for it. But God never gave up on me. God kept giving me situations, kept putting me in scenarios where I could practice. He kept bringing people in my life who gave me words of encouragement or even just practical tips. And so God uses broken people. Romans 8, 28 says, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. Man, this is beautiful. Every detail of our life is continually woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. That is good stuff. I just love the Passion Translation of how it just reads and just kind of comes out like it's a poetry. But the thing is, God uses broken people. So that's the first thing I want you to remember. Whenever you're in a broken situation or wherever you're hurting, just remember that God can still use the situation. Number two is God gives you a name. God gives you a name. So I want to be real with you all. Um, and I want to share with you guys a tough situation I've been dealing with probably the past month. So about a month ago, I was in some really severe pain in my stomach, and I was lightheaded, dizzy, and I, in my head, and it got to the point where I couldn't even walk in a straight line. And I realized, okay, this might be a problem. <laughs> if I'm feeling intense pain, like eight out of 10 pain, and I can't walk in a straight line, I may need to go to the ER. And I probably would have gone sooner, but I realized afterwards that my head was cloudy and I couldn't think straight. So that's why I just wasn't processing it. So I woke Caitlin up because it was like middle of the night and I asked if she could drive me to the ER, which says something too because I like have to drive every time I'm in a car. So I had her drive because I barely even like was able to walk to the car. Long story short, I found out at the doctor that I had type 1 diabetes. And that's kind of what was causing, it was kind of the accumulation of that. And that was obviously like a huge surprise to me because I was like, I didn't even expect this to happen. And so I, I don't want to go too, I could like ramble on about all the facts that I've learned in the past month about it, but it's kind of give you just an idea of like what it's like. So basically the idea of diabetes is that your pancreas, which creates insulin and the insulin creates, um, the insulin like moderates the amount of sugar that's in your blood. And so for type 2 diabetes, typically that happens later in life, and that's brought on due to like a lack of exercise and um, like unhealthy eating habits. And basically it's to the point where your pancreas can't keep up making enough insulin for the amount of body it has to go through. And that's basically what type 2 diabetes is. It happens later in life, and it's usually due to an unhealthy lifestyle. Now type 1 diabetes, which is what I got diagnosed with, was, is, is a little different because um, basically you know, I'm not like overweight, I don't have an unhealthy lifestyle, but my body thinks insulin is a virus and it attacks and kills the insulin. And so obviously without insulin, my blood sugars just went unchecked and unrelated and that's kind of what caused that crash about a month ago. And so I say all that to say a couple things. First thing is this is obviously a new and tough situation I'm in, so I'd love to have 
Um, ask you guys to be praying for that for me, um, to either get healed or have a good recovery process. But second, I want to share with you something. I want to share with you a word that God gave me in my situation when I asked for one. And God told me, accept the treatment, reject the title. Accept all the treatment, but reject the name or the title of the condition. And I thought about that for a little bit and I kind of came to the conclusion, yeah, I'm not supposed to reject the treatment, at least right now. But I don't want to take on the identity of like a diabetic. Or I don't want to let that rule my thoughts, like I'm just stuck here now. And essentially that's what it is. And that might not be for everyone, but I believe that's for some people here. Because if you're facing a tough situation, a tough problem like I, ha like I am, you know, maybe your situation or problem is bigger or smaller than mine, whatever. But we have a temptation to take on the title and the, almost like the role of the condition. We have that temptation to do that. And here's the thing is he has a title to give us. He has a name. He has, a, he has words for us. He has something to say about it. And if you don't get a word from God, just like I did, I, there's so many situations where I haven't gotten a specific word but let's look at the word that God's already spoken to us, which is the Bible. I'm not going to give you guys the references, but by the, God calls us through the Bible. He calls us a friend. He calls us masterfully crafted, more than a conqueror, redeemed, protected, loved, and a son or a daughter. And there are so many more than that. So listen, if you're facing addiction right now, accept the treatment, reject the title. Don't let porn give you a title. Don't let the addiction tell you what your name is. Don't let depression give you a role to play. Don't let the spirit of fear give you a cute nickname. You know, if you are facing a tough situation, just like I am, accept the treatment. So if you're, if you're dealing with an addiction, accept the treatment. Go through the practical steps. You know, um, I've gone through something like that similar before. So I can give you tons of practical steps that helped me. But I want you to reject the title of it. And essentially what's, what spiritually set me free was rejecting the title that, it, that I was an addict and accepting the title that I was a friend of God and that I was more than a conqueror and I was redeemed and I was protected. So number two is God's going to give you, God gave you a name. Here's the last thing. I want to ask the worship band, they're going to come on up now as I say this last point. You may have ashes but God. You may have ashes, but God. I believe literally every single situation, problem, or issue you will ever face is not complete. It is not ended until there's a but God at the end of it. Every single issue, every addiction, every problem, every family issue, every personal issue, every argument you will ever have is not complete until there's a but God at the end of it. It just may take some time to figure out what it is. And you may not even see it until it's over, until it's years later. We've been talking about Moses all night, but I want to focus on a different character. If you've been reading the reading plan, last week we read about Joseph, um, who is the son of Jacob. And Jacob had many sons, but he favored Joseph. And he was like, Joseph is my son. He is my favorite son. I'm going to give him a rainbow coat because he's my favorite son. So... Joseph obviously was very favored. His father loved Joseph more than the other ones is what the Bible says. 
But I want you guys to notice, for every reason, I've never noticed this before when I read the Bible. Maybe you guys did, maybe you didn't. But for whatever reason, the Bible focuses a lot on another son of Jacob's who goes by the name of Judah. Now, Judah wasn't, he wasn't the firstborn. Because I know in that culture that the firstborn was very important. Judah was not the firstborn. And he wasn't Joseph. But for some reason, the Bible talks about him almost as much as it talks about Joseph. Not quite as much, but he's got whole chapters. And the thing is, Judah was kind of a terrible person. I don't know if you guys read it or not, but he's kind of a terrible person. I made a list. He really wanted to murder his brother. So instead, he sold him, if he couldn't murder him, into slavery. He slept with prostitutes. He slept with his daughter-in-law. He mishandles family relations. And then he's unintentionally put in a situation where he lost his father, another one of his father's sons. So obviously, Judah is not the greatest. He's not, the, he's not a role model we should live by, right? He had all this happen. He had this life that he had that he obviously squandered. You know, we don't get a lot of picture but every time it mentions Judah in the Bible, he's doing something terrible that he shouldn't be doing. Pretty much every time you see that. He's got this, he's got these ashes of a life. But God. You see, but God uses him. At the end of Jacob's life, remember he's Judah and Joseph's father. At the end of Jacob's life, Jacob brings all of his sons around and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a word for God for each of you and I'm going to bless you. And what's really interesting is when he gets to Judah, he speaks this blessing. It's in Genesis 49. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. Hold on. Like this, is, this, is this still Judah? Judah, your brothers will praise you. What has he done that's praiseworthy? What has he done that was praiseworthy? All your relatives will bow before you. Why should they bow before this guy? Sleeps with prostitutes. He, he does these terrible things. He tried to murder his brother. It says, like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants. Basically, it's saying, hey, Judah, all your sons and your grandsons and your great-grandsons and your great-great-great-great-great-grandsons, they're all going to be kings and rule over people. What has he done that makes him worthy to be a king? And then it says this, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Who do you think that guy, who do you think that guy is? Jesus. So listen, this guy who is basically a murderer, sleeping with prostitutes, terrible with family, God's like, that's the guy. That's the guy. His great, 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 great grandson, God's like, that's going to be who my son belongs to. Through his line. Not only that, but King David is going to be in that line. Many other mighty rulers are going to be in that line. Solomon, who's considered the wisest of them all, is in that line. But what did Judah do that was praiseworthy? Well, God saw something in him. The Bible says that my, your power is made perfect in my weakness. God can still use that. He can turn the ashes of your life into beauty. Isaiah 61.3 says, To all who mourn in Israel, listen to this, this is so amazing, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. He will give a crown of beauty if you give him your ashes. 
There is a catch, though. You have to give him your ashes. You can't hold on to them. You have to give him the situation. The ultimate example of that, you know, in Revelation, it says when we get to heaven, there's going to be trials by fire, which is essentially just a, a bonfire that we're going to be walking through. You know, people argue if that's metaphorical or literal or whatever, but there's a principle to take from that, that the things in your life that are noteworthy, that are, that are eternal, the eternal things in your life, they're going to be like jewels when they pass through the fire. They're going to stand the trial. They're going to stand the test of, your fire, of the fire. But the things in your life that are self-seeking, that are not eternal, that we seek, the Bible says it's going to be like wood and straw. And when you get to the fire, they're going to burn up. What happens to wood when it's burned? It turns to ashes. The things in our life right now that are self-seeking, that we can control, are going to be turning to ashes. But here's the good news, is that God can turn beauty from ashes. But we have to give him the ashes first. We have to give him the ashes first. And so in every situation, there's a but God coming at the end of it. It may not look like what we want it to look like, but it's coming. It's coming. And I know I, I typically like to end my messages with like a call to action or something we can learn from it. But I want to do something just a little bit different. Uh, if you guys could all stand right now. I'm going to move this out of the way. So I want to do something a little bit different. And it's going to require a little bit of bravery from you guys. So be prepared. Um, to be prepared to be brave. That if you, like me, are facing a tough situation right now, all I want you to do is just come down to the front, come down to the altar, and just get on your knees and ask God to set you free from it. Ask God to give you a word. And again, it's going to require some bravery. It's okay if people are looking around. Listen, when I'm done talking, I'm getting right down on my knees in the front because I need to hear from God. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go through this last song. And what I want you guys to do, if you're facing that situation, to come down to the front and to do this. So if you would all bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, I just thank you for this amazing group of people. I pray that you will send those who need to hear a word from you. God, Holy Spirit, I just ask you that you will move on our hearts tonight. That it's moments like these that change everything. You know, I can remember so many times in youth group or at youth camp or at a youth conference where I'm just on my knees crying out to you, God. And God, you're still moving and you're still speaking. All right. We're going to worship. If you need to hear from God, come up to the front.